Uh, a recent study has suggested that the more intelligent you are, the less likely you are to believe in God. Uh, the study was done by a professor of psychology at uh, an Irish university, which is a little ironic, but this professor uh, surveyed the Royal Society of Scientists and found that only of the scientists that he surveyed, only 3% of them believed in God at a time when 68% of the general population believe in God. And so he has concluded that the higher your IQ, the less likely you are to believe in God. Or to put it another way, the dumber you are, the more likely you are to be a Christian. Now how do you feel when you hear about studies like that? Is there a part of you that's actually a little intimidated by that? That it does sort of uh, tap into an insecurity back in the back of your mind that perhaps being a Christian and believing in God isn't all that smart after all. Alternatively, maybe you hear about a study like that and you immediately go on the defensive. Already your mind is running through all these counter-examples of people who do seem smart and who have been smart in history and who do believe in God. Did you know that Christopher Langan, who uh, amongst the US media has been called, quote, the smartest man in America, he has the highest nine IQ of anyone in the United States, he believes in God, he even reckons that you can prove God using mathematics. Mind you, probably no one else is smart enough to follow the proof. But, <laughs> but friends, all of that aside, I reckon if you were to chat to the Apostle Paul about a study like that, if you were to chat to the Apostle Paul about a possible link between intelligence and belief in God, I reckon he would simply say that it's all pretty much irrelevant. Because whether or not someone believes in God, whether or not someone is a Christian, it's not an intelligence issue. It's a spiritual issue. Which is pretty much the main point of this morning's passage. Whether or not someone is a Christian, it's, it's not an intelligence thing. It's a spiritual thing. And within the context of 1 Corinthians, that's a really important point to get straight. Because if you were here last week, you might remember that here at the beginning of the letter, Paul is writing to the church to sort out the problem of divisions within the church family. That within Corinth, there are people who are getting all hung up about human wisdom, human intellect, human eloquence, style of ministry. I follow the Apostle Paul. I follow the Apostle uh, uh, Peter. I follow Apollos. And last week, Paul was pointing out to them, Guys, don't get agitated about that sort of stuff. Personality type, uh, ministry styles, never saved anyone. It is the message of Christ crucified that is the power of God. It's the message of Christ crucified that saves people. But if that's the case, and it is, if people aren't saved by clever and persuasive words, if people are not saved by seeing miracles performed, if people are not saved by if people are saved by hearing the simple message of the cross, if that's the case, why then do different people react so differently to the gospel? Why is it that two people can sit through the same talk, hear the gospel, one becomes a Christian and the other doesn't? Why is it that within the same family, one child can believe the gospel and be a Christian and, the other one think, and another child thinks it's silly? If it's not a matter of intellect, 
if it's not a matter of experience, if it doesn't depend on the cleverness of the explanation of the gospel, all of which we heard last, what does it depend on? That's what Paul goes on to explain this morning. And it's a helpful explanation because it changes the way we look at each other in this room. Let's see how. And this morning's section sort of falls out into three main progressions of thought. The first main progression of thought in the passage is that the gospel, the message of the cross, is in fact a hidden wisdom. Or as Paul describes it, the gospel is a hidden wisdom of God's. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. You might remember from last Sunday that uh, Paul has already pointed out in chapter 1 that the message of the gospel appears foolish in the eyes of the world. To talk about the execution of a Jew 2,000 years ago to the world, that's a little silly. In the words of Voltaire, who was a famous French philosopher, Christianity is the most ridiculous, the most absurd, the bloodiest religion that has ever infected the world. Now, Paul's starting point today is that, okay, to the world it seems foolishness, but despite its apparent foolishness, it actually does contain wisdom. It's just not the sort of wisdom that this world gets excited over. Because the sort of wisdom that this world gets excited over is intellect, uh, mental capacity, eloquence, how well you do at exams, how clever you are at solving problems, how many initials you can put after your name, how many certificates and degrees and diplomas you can hang on your wall. That impresses people. Verse 6 tells us that sort of wisdom will in the long term come to nothing. The gospel, on the other hand, contains a different sort of wisdom, a wisdom which verse 7 describes as a secret wisdom, a wisdom which has been hidden. Now, friends, it's important to be clear here over what Paul is getting at by describing the gospel as a message that that has been hidden. Because he's not saying the gospel is hidden in the sense that we don't have enough information about it. You know, there are some things in, in this world that are like that. You just simply can't work them out because you don't have all the available information to do it. He's not saying that. Indeed, in his letter to Timothy, in another part of the New Testament, uh, Paul explains that we have all the information we need to be wise for salvation here in the Bible. Nor is he saying that the gospel is hidden in the sense that we lack the sort of mental capacity to follow the argument of the gospel, that we lack the intellectual ability to, to follow the meaning of the message. Again, there are some things in the world that are like that. For me personally, I find it impossible to grasp how a computer works. Try as I can, I, cannot, I just cannot get my head around how what I type on the keyboard and what I move the mouse, how that translates to what occurs on the screen and how the computer can sort of remember it for next time I turn it. It is beyond my mental capacity to just get my head around that. But again, that's not what Paul is getting at here when he's talking about the gospel being hidden. It's not that we lack the mental capacity to follow the meaning of the message. Now, now what he's saying here is that the gospel is hidden in the sense that its preciousness is hidden. 
What he is saying here is that the gospel is hidden in the sense that just left to ourselves, we are morally, spiritually unable to see the value of the message. And so the world hears the gospel. The world follows the message, okay, but then the world just assesses it as foolish. The world judges it to be stupid. And so the world doesn't understand the gospel in the sense that because of our moral and spiritual blindness, we are unable to understand just how valuable the message of the cross is. And if ever you needed any proof of that, you have only to look at the fact that when God's own son stepped foot on the earth, what happened? We killed him. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, that is the gospel, for if they had... They would, not have un- they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Evidently, when Dick Lucas first went to be the rector at St. Helen's Bishopsgate in London, uh, some of you may have heard Dick Lucas speak at uh, conventions here in Australia or, or on the internet. We've got some of his talks actually in our church library. But anyway, when Dick first went to St. Helen's, he was invited to speak at the traditional Easter pageant that they hold in central London. As Easter approached, they asked Dick for a catchy little title to put on their leaflets for inviting people. Uh, Dick Lucas thought about it for a few days, and then he rang back with the title, When given half a chance, man's first inclination, when they finally meet God, is to kill him. Now, I think they're actually after something a bit shorter and sharper than that, but it's not a bad title. When given half a chance... Man's first inclination, when they finally meet God, is to kill him. And that's exactly Paul's point in verse 8, that if you ever wanted evidence of how morally and spiritually bankrupt we are, how morally and spiritually blind we are, how therefore hidden the value of the things of God are to people, you only need to see that when Jesus came, He was crucified. All of which is a little depressing so far. Uh, We're in a mess. There is a wisdom of God out there. The message of the cross is out there. We can intellectually understand it. We have all the information we need to understand it. But nevertheless, it is hidden from us in the sense that we just don't appreciate it. But a ray of light is about to shine into the text. For the hidden wisdom of God, the gospel has been revealed, a point which Paul introduces by quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah in verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but, it's one of those lovely buts in the Bible, but, up until now the value of the gospel has been hidden, but God has revealed it to us. Now, I know I've just stopped mid-sentence there, uh, and I know that that verse is going to go on to mention the Spirit. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Can you just appreciate, though, the importance of this simple point within the context of Corinthians? God has revealed it. God has revealed it. See, this is a church which is divided over human wisdom and eloquence. Can you see 
now even more so why Paul is saying that, that it's silly to have quarrels over that sort of stuff because human wisdom, mental capacity, philosophy, clever arguments, they are so limited in what they can do. God has revealed it. Imagine playing hide and seek with someone and you, are, you have spent ages trying to find the person. In fact, you've even worked out all these theories about where they are and why they would choose that place to, be, to, to, to hide in. You've actually put together a psychological profile of the person that you're trying to find so as to figure out where they are and, and how they tick and the way they're wired so that you can figure out where they're hiding. And you've, and you've come up with all these really clever and sophisticated theories and, and ideas, but the bottom line is you, you haven't found them. And so eventually they come out of hiding and they say, here I am. How on earth can you then go about and boast about all these calculations and theories that you'd worked out? They were all wrong. They, 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 they brought nothing. That's what it's like with us and the wisdom of God, the things of God, the, the, the value of the gospel. You can meditate and philosophize about God as much as you want. You can come up with mathematical proofs for the existence of God but such is our spiritual blindness that we will not value the things of God until God reveals it to us such is our spiritual blindness that we will not appreciate the things of God we will not discover the preciousness of the gospel until he reveals it to us and for the Corinthians to be carried away about human intellect and cleverness and wise and persuasive words, to actually be having divisions over that sort of stuff, as we heard last week, it only shows that they don't really fully understand how they've been saved in the first place. Because whether or not someone is a Christian, it's not an intelligence issue. It's a spiritual issue. And we are only saved when God breaks into our lives and reveals to us the true value and beauty and importance of the message of the cross. And how does he do it? Well, that's where God's spirit comes into his own. Verse 10 again. God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. In those verses, Paul is making a parallel between getting to know God and getting to know each other. That the only way that we get to know each other is for us to tell each other about ourselves. That's why we have icebreakers at dinner parties. That's why in our growth groups we go around the circle and share things about us. We play games so as to try and find out more things about each other so that we've got opportunity to share of ourselves because that's the way people will get to know us. That's the way it is with God he's pointing out there. You can't figure out God. You can't appreciate God. God, you can't value his wisdom, you can't uh, value his plans just by thinking about him. Only God himself knows those things fully. And so if you want to know God, then God's own spirit needs to tell you about him. And therefore he reaches the sort of grand finale of his argument in verse 13. This is what we speak, not words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness. They can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
See what those verses are concluding? If you want to accept the things of God, if you want to correctly discern the significance of Christ crucified, if you want to avoid seeing the gospel as nothing more than foolishness, if you want to start valuing it for what it is, the very words of life, it depends on the Spirit of God working in us to convict us of the truth and value of those things. So why is it the two people can sit through an evangelistic talk and one is converted and the other thinks it's silly? Why is it that in the same family one child believes the gospel but the other one doesn't? Why is it that in a survey of the world's most respected scientists only 3% of them believe in God while 68% of the general population believe in God? The difference is that the spirit of God is applying it to the hearts and minds of one and not the other. It's not an intelligence issue. It's not a wise and persuasive words issue. It's not a cleverness issue. It's a spiritual issue. Now, friends, I realise that this truth can raise some questions in our mind. Why is it that God gives his spirit to some and not others? And those questions have their place. Maybe in the growth groups, when we look at these passages, that'll be a good time to talk about those sorts of things. However, this morning, what I want us to see is, is the pastoral lesson that Paul is giving this truth into, the, the pastoral situation that he, that he is explaining this to. It's one of division and quarrelling. He's writing to a church full of factions. He's writing to a church impressed by human intellect and cleverness. They've all got their pin-up boys. Some think Apollos is the cleverest. Others reckon Peter's more on the ball. And Paul is saying, please don't get carried away about that sort of stuff. Please don't elevate one person over the other just because you think they're smarter than them or because they sort of resonate more with you than others. Bottom line is, those things don't actually help you value the things of God. Bottom line is the gospel is actually a hidden wisdom that God reveals to us by his spirit. And I reckon that's just not a good lesson for the Corinthians in their situation. Here is a lesson that is really helpful for us to come to terms with as well. The fact that the gospel is a hidden wisdom revealed to us by God's spirit. That has a lot to say to us about the sort of people we should be and how we should be treating the other people in this room. I mean, the very, at the very least, what we're discovering in this passage surely should make us people of prayer, don't you think? Because at the end of the day, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that is indispensable if we are to become Christians or if we are to be able to grow as Christians. So at the very least, I hope you can see the importance of, of praying about coming here on a Sunday. Because at one level, it doesn't matter how clever or entertaining or how clear I try and make the Bible talk here, it, you will assess it as foolishness unless the Holy Spirit is working in you. And those of us who have children out there in the children's program at this very minute, I hope you're praying for them asking God's spirit to be working in them. Please don't rely on the Sunday school alone. Those of us with friends and family, those of us with mates who we're hoping to bring to the men and machine, I hope, we're, hope you're praying for them. Don't rely on schmick 
activities alone. No one, friends, no one becomes a Christian. No one grows as a Christian unless God gives them his spirit so that they start to value the wisdom of the gospel as the very words of life. All of which, when you think about it, is a very levelling truth to meditate over. Because if you think about it, and this is precisely why Paul is telling the Corinthians this, if you think about it, it doesn't actually matter who you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how many initials you've got after your name. It doesn't matter if the only certificate you possess is an across-the-pool race certificate. Doesn't matter what job you have, doesn't matter how successful or influential you are, doesn't matter how good you are with words, doesn't matter how good you are with people, doesn't matter how many friends you have on Facebook, we would not be Christians, we would not be followers of Jesus if it were not for God's own spirit convicting us of spiritual truths in spiritual ways. And it is the genius of God that that would be the case. Because back in chapter 1, Paul said that God, in his wisdom, planned it so that we, in our wisdom, couldn't know him. Because this is the sort of truth that floods a church family with equality and unity and solidarity. Friends, we're the same. There is no one in this room to be jealous of. There is no one in this room to be resentful of. There is no one in this room to be intimidated by. There is no one in this room for you to feel that you are better than them. You can sit next to any other Christian in this church family. You've been saved exactly the same way. You can sit next to any Christian in this church family and you are growing in Christ exactly the same way. The Holy Spirit, breaking through our spiritual blindness to help us value the things of God. Which sort of makes the divisions in the Corinthian church seem pretty silly, doesn't it? Sort of makes the divisions in any church seem pretty silly. Friends, we're in the same boat. Sinners saved by the gospel. A hidden wisdom revealed to us by God.